And I think this is the spirit behind our expression that I pay a lot of attention to the words in red. And we're going to bring some of those up as we go along this summer looking at this. But let's, let's use the intent that Klopsch had, that, that the Reverend Talmadge said it can't do any harm and it can only do some good, to really receive this not just as dead letters on a page, but as the living Word of the Lord. And especially those that are printed in red, these are the words of Jesus Himself. And one thing about that is, I, you know, you can read Shakespeare and read what he wrote. You can read Mark Twain and his sayings. You can even read C.S. Lewis and the things that he wrote outside of his fictional tales, and they're very rewarding. But when we read the words of Jesus, when we hear the words of Jesus, he is still very much a living author. And we can ask him to explain that to us. We can, we can commune with him. And as we discussed in the class this morning, how much more is the Father willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So it's in that spirit that I want to ask the Lord to give us that understanding as we read these words. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We do indeed know that the church represents the kingdom, but Father, we confess to you that within ourselves we are pockets of rebellion. We are little islands of resistance to the rule of God Almighty in this world. And Father, we ask that your kingdom be fully established in all ways, and we want to be a part of that rule. And so that means we want your help and your Holy Spirit so that we can put these words into practice and be like the wise man who builds a house on the rock. Father, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us away from the temptation to go our own way, to do our own thing, to believe that we control these words. And instead, we ask for your Spirit that humbles us and teaches us to be obedient to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I guess the place to start is with John 3.16. But I want you to hear this, not as a slogan, but as the words of Jesus Himself. And I'll give you the context in just a moment, but give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Jesus Himself says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. That's just three verses of this larger context. These quite familiar words, in fact, probably too familiar, and in their familiarity, we've, we've sort of dismissed the impact of these words. And we need to hold them again, and we need to certainly learn not to entrust these words simply to chaps like Roland Stewart. 
Some of you, if you were watching sports during the 70s or 80s, you'll remember Roland Stewart. Hey guys, this is what we had for memes in the 70s and 80s right here. You couldn't come up with a meme, you had to become a meme. And that's what Roland Stewart did. He put on his rainbow wig and his John 3.16 t-shirt, and he knew how to move himself out to get attention. He first shows up at the 1977 NBA Finals. He found out how to get in front of the camera. He had become a born-again Christian, and he decided that he wanted everybody to pay attention to John 3.16. That was his little slogan. Oh, it caught on. In fact, at the 1979 Major League Baseball All-Star Game, the cameramen and the commentators were trying to figure out how to get the camera off of him. Some people say he was more entertaining than the game. But he figured out ways then to get out in front of the camera at the Olympics, at whatever event it might be, because he thought everybody needs to know this verse. In time, he did in fact become a meme. Nobody was really paying attention to John 3.16, They were just paying attention to 316 and the man with the rainbow wig. So other celebrities started coming up with their own 316s. Roland Stewart even figured out how to get into the pit crew at Indianapolis 500 to show off his rainbow wig and his 316. Anything to get attention. But by the late 80s, Roland Stewart had become something of a nuisance. He went around to churches, high-profile churches, TV stations, religious broadcasters, and finally the American Music Awards, and he was setting off stink bombs. And his message was, God thinks that this stinks. Now how do you go from John 3.16, God so loves the world that He sends His Son not to condemn, to setting off stink bombs? I think the dye in Roland Stewart's rainbow wig had gotten to him. Since 1992, and just to complete the story, Roland Stewart has been serving time, three life sentences in fact. They take that born again stuff seriously, you know. And so three life sentences at the Mule Creek State Penitentiary in California. Because Roland's final act was to put posters of John 3.16 up in the in the windows of his motel room and he was telling the authorities that he was going to be shooting at planes taking off from LAX. He got a lot of attention for that. Folks, 316 is not some gospel in a nutshell meant only for nuts. These are the words of Jesus. It's His testimony. Jesus is giving us His testimony about who He is and what He's all about. It it comes up in the context of a conversation that Jesus is having with one of the teachers of Israel, Nicodemus. I like Nicodemus. He's a scholar. He's a teacher. He's a smart man. He's even smart enough to recognize that there's something about Jesus. He doesn't just give in to his fear. There's a lot of intelligent people, a lot of people who know Scripture really well, but when they get nervous and intimidated, they reject things that don't fit into their worldview. Nicodemus can see that, hey, there's something about this Jesus, and so he goes to him and he says, you must be a teacher sent by God. Because no one could do the things that you do 
if he wasn't a teacher sent by God. Now, what Nicodemus doesn't know is that Jesus is even more than a teacher sent by God. And so, in their discussion, Jesus says, you know, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born anew. And there's something about this word, being born anew, that Nicodemus doesn't quite grasp. That's because... In saying born anew, this, this phrase might also be interpreted born from above. And where Jesus is indicating you have to be born from the origin of heaven. You have to be born from above. Nicodemus is thinking, wait, born a second time? How do you do that? How do you go back to the womb? How does that happen? What, is, what does rebirth have to do with anything involving the kingdom? Nicodemus is having to get a new category for his understanding of the things of God. That's how powerful this verse, this testimony of Jesus is. I mean, we might take it for granted, but for Nicodemus, it requires him to build a whole new set of tools and handles. He has to go get a new kind of container to put this truth in. Now, Jesus marvels the fact that Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel, but he can't perceive the spiritual reality of the kingdom and being born anew. He says, you're Israel's teacher, and this is, this is kind of a stretch for you. I don't think Jesus is being insulting. I think he's just noticing the fact that this is a huge concept. And afterwards, John the Baptist, in the same context, recognizes that Jesus' authority does not come from any authority based on earth. That if you want to know, okay, well, who, who gives Jesus the authority to say these things? You remember that when Saul went out to um, round up believers in Jesus, that when Saul went out, to arrest them because they were dangerous, he carried with him letters of authority from the Sanhedrin. Here's a man thinking that he's doing what is religiously right, backed by a religious authority on earth, and he's dead wrong. And it's when Jesus represents the authority from heaven in Acts 9 that he says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not my church, but me. When you persecute them, you persecute me. And Saul has to get a new bucket to put things in because now he understands the weight of this testimony. John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, says, Oh no, we're not talking, this is no rival of mine. This is not somebody who rivals me. If I'm decreasing so that he can increase, so be it. He's not just a competing preacher. His authority comes from above. His authority comes from God because He is the Son of God. John the Baptist believes and understands the testimony that Jesus says about Himself right in the middle of this context. Finally, the, gospel, the, the chapter in the Gospel, chapter 3, is wrapped up by a statement that the one from above is above all. So if we really want to see the kingdom rule of God, if we want to see how the kingdom controls and permeates the church and our lives and our world, we've got to have 
a new bucket, a new container, a new mindset, a new worldview of everything. We have to be born anew of the water and spirit. That's the context of this. So that's, that's, just, the, that's just the container that this, that this verse sets in. It's the setting for the pearl of these words in red. What Jesus is saying, first of all, is God loves the world. God's not out to get the world. God loves the world. He loves the world enough to give the world His Son. First of all, do we understand what the love of God means? Because I think it's much deeper and greater than what we conceive of. We reduce love to an emotion, to a feeling, maybe to a state of being. But love is a set of actions, and it is a, it is a lifestyle. It is, a, it is God, John says. God is love. God loves the world enough to give His only Son because His love demands more than a memo. You know, we might send love letters to someone, but that's never going to suffice. We can't just send a memo that says, hey, just a memo to everybody. I want to remind you, I do love you. Thank you for your time. We'll have a meeting at 1030 later today. You need more than a memo. You need more than a manual. God doesn't say to us as, as our Heavenly Father, hey, I love you so much. Hey, here's a book. Read it. There'll be a test later. God doesn't love us so much that He says, you know, I love you guys, but you're a mess. Somebody's going to have to teach you how to behave. Here, listen to this teacher. I've hired, I've hired this person to be a nanny for you. I'm out of here. Come back when you've learned. This love demands more than a prophet and a regent who were heavenly spokespeople, heavenly commanders and directors of the nations that claim to follow God. What is needed because of love is the very Son of God Himself. The One who is like the Father and is the Father. The One who represents the exact likeness of the Father. I'm going to send My Son. That's how much God wants to be known by us. That He doesn't just stand far off, but He represents Himself in His Son. That's the first impact of this. But why give the Son? Why why? Why does he have to go to that level? And why the verb give? I mean, he sends his son, but why give? Why does it say he gave his son? Are we just talking about his sacrifice? We're talking about the sacrifice and more. He gives his son to give eternal life to all who trust in the son. I want you to think about this right now. That what we've just read from the words of Jesus, what Jesus is saying right now is, God wants you to have eternal life. Some of us have lived our whole lives thinking that we're probably bound for hell. That if we stepped foot in a church, it'd come crumbling down around us. I may not make it into heaven, I'll barely make it. Yeah, if it's all up to you, you'll barely make it, and so will I. But do you understand that God's desire is for you to have 
eternal life. To be saved. That's God's desire. Well, yeah, you say that, preacher, but some people need to repent. Sure, we all need to repent. Uh, you say that, preacher, but how do, you, how do you get to speak for God? Well, I didn't make this idea up. It's not my notion. My notion would probably look for something very different than this. The people I like get eternal life. The people I don't like, well, they've been handy. That's what humans do, and that's why we're so messed up and need salvation. But God loves you enough that He wants you to have eternal life, and He wants you to trust in His Son. God gives His Son to save a world that is doomed by its evil. You know, I find myself, unfortunately, and I'm being confessional, church, I find myself often in moments of anger, in moments of disgust, in moments of um, just general frustration, cursing the world. People are this, people are that, the world is this, the world is that, I don't like it. That's just me being an angry two-year-old in a 50-something body, okay? Don't like, don't like, hate, 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 hate. It's a childish mindset, and I'm confessing to it. What I have to remember in those moments, and maybe this helps you, what I have to remember is this, that God made this world, and He cares about it. That God made all of us, and He cares about it. And He's not willing to let it go, no matter how broken, how corrupted, how messed up it's gotten. No matter how much I may hate it and be upset and angry, God wants to redeem it. God wants to save it. So whereas I'm willing to put on my spiritual hard hat and go around and tack signs on the world that say, Condemned! 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 God is ripping them off and saying, hey, I didn't appoint you to that task. Not even my own son came to condemn the world. He's on a rescue mission. And if you want to help him, then put on, you know, put on your life vest and get in there and help him do the rescuing. God gave his son to save a world that's doomed by its own evil. God gave his son to speak God's truth and to give the Holy Spirit. Right there at the end of the chapter, he says that God will give the Holy Spirit. I didn't put that on the slide, so let's take a gander. Let's take, give a listen to John 3 right there at the end, because I think those comments, they may not be words in red, but they're an important interpretation of what's being said. It's, it's probably the words of John the Baptist. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things. But He has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what He has seen and heard, but how few believe what He tells them. Anyone who accepts His testimony can confirm that God is true. For He is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives Him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves His Son and has put everything into His hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's judgment. There is condemnation. It's a kind of self-condemnation where we don't trust in the Son. But if we trust in the Son, 
He has authority to give the Spirit. And that's His desire. In Romans 8.1, the words are, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Now, that might make us nervous because we think, well, wait, is this some kind of license then? That means I can do whatever I want. I've been given a hall pass to do anything, right? Don't, don't abuse it like that. That's not what it means. It means that the sentence, the condemnation, it's been expunged, it's been dropped. It's been done away with. We've been set free is what it means. Free to live for Him. The mission of Jesus is to save, not to condemn. We, we know how to condemn. We, you know, Jesus comes into a world that knows that the law stands against it. Knows the weight of condemnation. He comes to a nation of people who understand that they have had to pay for their sins They've had to repent. They've been in exile. God redeems them. They go through other exiles. God redeems them. Jesus' mission is, there's an end of condemnation. Now comes the salvation. When we recognize that we have sinned, and Paul goes through this in Romans 8, when we recognize that we have sinned, we have achieved something. Because we know that we're condemned. Now comes the salvation part. Now what do we got to do to be saved? You trust in the Son. You obey Him. You follow Him. That includes all the things that you and I do. I mean, you know. Somebody will say, well, do I have to be baptized? Well, yeah, you're going to be baptized because Jesus was baptized. I mean, that's what He does. Follow Him. Follow Him through baptism. That's born anew. Born from above. You're going to be more and more like Him. You're going to do these things. But now, you're living the saved, redeemed, rescued life. The light is here. That's what John the Baptist says about Jesus. The light is here. This is what Jesus says about Himself. The light is here. Now, you can embrace the light or you can reject it. Sometimes when we're evil, and maybe it's because we desire the things that tempt us, or maybe it's because we're ashamed, maybe it's because we're so self-condemned that we don't see another way, that what we end up doing is we end up rejecting the light. Jesus is letting us know that in that light there is the love and there is the salvation of God if we will trust in Him, believe Him. So the question I want you to think about is are we born from above into the kingdom of God? Have we experienced that? Some of you may have experienced that. You may have been baptized and, and yet, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't really experience that birth from above. I, I can't, I can't, each case is a little, I, you have to talk about it, but I can tell you that Jesus points us to a way where we understand that being baptized into Him, it's for the removal of those sins and that sinful nature. Being baptized into Him is to be born anew so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I'm not inviting you to baptism. Jesus is. That's why God sent His Son. 
This is what I ask you to think about today. If this is your past experience, that you were born from above, and maybe it hasn't been quite what you thought. Like I said in my prayer, sometimes we are pockets of rebellion in the kingdom. Well, Jesus has come to save. If your baptism into Jesus Christ is a future situation, let's talk about what it means to get you ready for that, to prepare you for that. I believe that this is going to be a good summer where a lot of people are going to be thinking about what that decision means. And what I want you to know is, is that decision is both an end and a beginning. It is the end to the earthly things of this world, and it is the beginning of living in the kingdom. It is the beginning of life in Christ. And I wouldn't want you to miss out on the joy of being in the kingdom for a single moment. Now, today, as we've done before, if after this service you need to talk to somebody about that, you've got your shepherds, you've got people here, you've got ministers here, let's have some conversations about this. I know that it can be scary to come up front. I know it can be scary to be baptized in front of everyone. I want you to know that there's nothing magic about that baptistry. It's meaningful to us because this is the family's living room. But based on what Jesus says, the words in red, being baptized into Christ is what counts. Being baptized into Him is what has meaning. We're going to gather around the Lord's Supper table this morning. And often that becomes a time where we feel like we're not welcome because we're condemned. If you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't come proud of our accomplishments. We come humble, accepting the invitation of the One who loves us enough that when His Father said, I'm sending you to save, He was obedient. And likewise, we ought to be obedient as well. We're going to sing this song. And we're going to gather around the Lord's Supper table this morning. Well, let's go ahead and stand.